Conversations with Catholic Voices. Tackling the tough questions with Daniel Noor and Catholic Voices Australia. Hello listeners, my name is Daniel Noor. I'm a young Catholic and a convert to the faith with lots of questions on my mind. I'm confused and apprehensive about many things, and I have a thirst to get things straight on the major theological, social, political and moral problems that face the church today. This is Conversations with Catholic Voices. Cradio, Sydney's seminal network for young Catholics, has given me a representative of the church. It will be Paul Sheehan, who I am talking to today. It won't be an interrogation, but, you know, I'll leave that for you to decide. I have questions, is all I'm saying. Now, Paul is a wonderful dude. He's a science graduate from Monash, and he also has studied at the John Paul II Institute in the city of Melbourne. Um, He also snorkels. Just a bit of trivia letting you know about the kind of man we're working with. He's a snorkeler. Paul, how are you today? Hey, Daniel. Very well, thanks. Glad to hear that. Now, we are talking about the idea of freedom of conscience today. Uh, And um, this is, I suppose, a notion that we can say originated with the Declaration of the Rights of Man and of the Citizen uh, in the aftermath or as a result of the French Revolution as early as 1793. Uh, There are various clauses here um, in the document, but, you know, one of them is that the free communication of ideas and opinions is one of the most precious of the rights of man. Every citizen may, accordingly, speak, write, and print with freedom, but shall be responsible for such abuses of this freedom as shall be defined by the law. I suppose this idea of, uh, you know, this, this freedom of conscience... We've seen this manifest in various other laws and agreements. For example, it is enshrined in Australian law. We, we see that even that idea originates with the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights. Uh, that's an Australian treaty, but, but then this harks back to, you know, the, the International Covenant of 1966. And, of course, it's in, you know, various constitutions, the American Bill of Rights, Freedom of conscience is uh, an enshrined, I suppose, belief or principle of Western secular democracies. Paul, the notion of freedom of conscience uh, may have developed as early as, uh, you know, the secular revolution of France. Does the church account for the fact that Catholic persecution um, of Protestants and indeed just the overbearing influence of the church in matters of state necessitated the freedom of worship allowance with which this idea has been historically aligned, you know, the freedom to worship what you want or not to worship at all. How can the church state claim to any idea of freedom of conscience or want to take credit for this concept when it was the separation of church and state and a kind of, I suppose, curtailing of the powers of the church which produced the idea of freedom of conscience? I don't think the church actually stakes a claim to the concept of freedom of conscience, Mm. um, but it certainly recognises that it is there in nature and it's there in our existence, which has been given to us by God. But I take your point. There certainly was a time when church and state were much closely related. And so this idea of freedom of conscience obviously wasn't at the forefront. Um, But what the church would say today is... Yeah, so what what do you take freedom of conscience to... uh let me know what the church would say, but I guess 
uh, the what would you why do you think it's important if at all? Well, I would say what the church does say, and that is that acting in accord with our conscience is very important. The church realizes that we have free will and we need to make decisions for ourselves. But what I would say and what the church says is that any conscience needs to be properly informed. It needs to be relative to the truth. Um, Mm. Whereas what we see today is that freedom and freedom of conscience is now almost an absolute greater than truth in itself. Mm. And that's where we run into a a lot of problems, I think, today. What kind of problems? Well, when we have so many people today, and even Catholics, they've, they've come to understand that conscience is listening to their own voice. Mm. Therefore, they've separated it away from truth. Mm. So rather than listening to what God reveals to us as truth through the church and through scripture, we've kind of found ourselves in this situation where people are trying to make sense of the world and develop their own understanding of truth. And this has led to things such as or concepts such as my truth and my conscience and and refusing to acknowledge any greater objective moral order. And it's it's this concept of relativism now where your truth is as equal as my truth and therefore there is no right and wrong almost. And, and in which arena is that a problem? Is that relativity a problem? Could you give some examples? Yeah. Well, I mean, if we just look at something uh, like abortion, You know, we can justify that simply by saying, I believe this is the best thing for myself and in my conscience, I'm doing the right thing. And as long as I can convince myself that I'm doing the right thing, then it's a good thing. Whereas the church would say, no, if we think about this, we cannot end the life of another person. We need to approach it from, you know, the understanding of the, the general good as well. How do my actions impact on the rest of society? So that's one example. And I think Cardinal Newman actually explained this really well. He said that together with revelation, conscience sort of acts as an internal witness to make sure that we're living up to our full potential. So it's kind of like conscience can't really help us unless it's grounded in truth and an understanding of, of truth. Yes, yes, sure. I, I suppose we're grappling with something quite enormous there. I. I can see in a kind of conversational way that talking, I mean, what I mean to say is if I was to talk to someone about what I believe and then they can only rebut me with what they believe and then it's all yes. rather superficial and shallow and there's uh, there's no, uh, there, you know, we, we can't arrive at any kind of uh, objective truth when the personal conscience is taken to be the definitive or the trump card, you know, yes. uh, the, the deciding factor. But that said, what about, you know, the great importance of respecting other people's beliefs? And in modern society, there is a respect of the rights of the beliefs of others. And oh, that, you absolutely. Know, we, yeah. we require that kind of agreement in order to get along, even when those rights seem to infringe or perhaps to not, not so much infringe on, but they don't uh, accord with our own beliefs. We still respect them so that there can be some kind of harmony. How has the church taken to that element of freedom of conscience? How does it approach that issue now? Well, I think it understands it as it is free will. I mean, freedom of conscience implies the the very concept, the term, the words imply that every person must be free to make up their own mind. But what the church would say is 
properly inform your conscience and make sure, because the church understands that people are emotional and if they don't think through something, then quite often their emotions will lead their conscience to make the wrong decision. Yes. So it's, you know, it's kind of like conscience is a bit like a moral compass. It points us in the right direction, um, but we still need to be careful. We still need to rationalize and think things through at an intellectual level as well. Now, for Christians and Catholics, we have the scriptures, we have the church, we have revelation. Perhaps it's easier for us, in a sense, to go straight to that truth and have our conscience and our actions grounded in that. Yes. Whenever we come to a new situation and we have to apply our faith and what we know to be true, our conscience is perhaps better formed. Whereas for someone who doesn't have uh, that faith and that belief, they really have to think things through at a philosophical level. Yes, they have to think things through at a philosophical level. So that's all well and good. I'm, I'm glad that we've, you know, kind of established the framework in which we're working now. But I suppose the problem for me is it has been a hard-won fight that Australia, a country that to many people seems quite racist, is still battling to respect the views of others and make a place to accommodate those views different as they might be. I, I, would, I, I would still worry that all of this talk of, okay, well, how are we going to objectively agree about something would allow for a society where you don't just want to prove that you're right, but that you, I don't know, want, want to enforce your beliefs on someone else, circa Taliban in Afghanistan now. What's the difference? I don't think it's about asserting your your beliefs on other people. You're right. I mean, we're never going to all agree on everything to the same extent, but we can help other people, and we can't force our beliefs on other people. Another kind of example of this, like so the, this subjectivity that that people bring to things, is you know Pope Francis synod on the family and the flexibility of interpretation, which he seems to have recently brought to remarried and divorced couples or the the reception that they have in the church. Yes. So with the statements, for example, of, I mean, first of all, there is that. He has brought a certain openness there and he himself married uh, divorced and separated couples um, who were going in for a second go. Uh, I think somewhere in St. Peter's he kind of presided over the wedding ceremonies himself. himself. Yes. But then also, you know, the, the reception of gay people into the church. So this clause, men and women with homosexual tendencies must be welcomed with respect and care. You know, this was um, a, f a phrase that was rejected by the Synod and in t instead something like w men and women with homosexual tendencies must be provided for or some kind of uh, di dilution there of, of yes. that. Now, that, that, that was a result of um, certain members of the Synod and their views and uh, not wanting to change the wording there. Now, with the spirit of Pope Francis uh, you know, and his time, this era of Pope Francis, and also with the demand for this synod, you know, this kind of change in the language and the treatment of the the ostracized members of the church of, you know, the, the greater Catholic community, yeah. isn't a cracking down, a defense of consistency and of tradition and of standing by what was always done and how things have always been done, rather than the importance of the freedom of the individual's conscience and the individual's discretion, not kind of harmful at this time? Isn't it kind of contrary to the spirit of Vatican II, dare I say? Yeah, I don't think. I mean, certainly Pope Francis has brought a different tone to the papacy. 
um, which was greatly needed, and to the church. I, but I don't think it's about saying whether defending consistency or freedom of conscience is is really the issue. It's it's really I think what he's trying to say is that we need to show more mercy and we need to listen to these kind of people. We need to understand why they feel the way they feel and understand how they think. You know, A change I, in style rather than content. Change in style, definitely, yeah. I know I, I read recently in an article somewhere, I can't remember where it was, but Pope Francis said something along the lines of that there's a dictatorship of a narrow line of thought in the modern world. Yeah. And that, and that really kills people's freedom. And that you can look at that both ways. You know, certainly there's a narrow line of thought perhaps in how people outside the church live their lives that we don't agree with. Yeah. But you could also read into that people within the church, people within the hierarchy perhaps have too much of a narrow line of thought and they're too wrapped up in tradition and dogma to really understand people outside the church. There are Catholics who are still refuting some of the, what they would call the novelties of the Novus Ordo Mass and of the reforms that have been made, like, for example, the fact that uh, the laity can distribute the Eucharist or that the women are more and more involved in the Mass and, you know, various other, you know, what they would call, I, I suppose, aberrations, still to this day, you know, are still, are still fighting that. So, yes. yeah, so, no, there is, I think there are two kind of streams going on so would you call that a respect to freedom of conscience like the the spirit of vatican II? is that the same thing yeah hard to say I, i'm not sure i don't know if, if the vatican II council was trying to say that we need to accept people's people's beliefs in terms of their freedom of conscience or mm -hmm. whether we should acknowledge it but i think what pope francis is saying is that we need to understand it so not not say that it is okay that certain people have arrived at certain lifestyles through their own freedom of conscience, but to understand how they've reached that point, I guess. Mm. Okay. Because ultimately he wants to bring them back to the truth and he wants what's best for them. So I don't think he's suggesting that their freedom of conscience should take priority over, you know, church dogma, but he said in terms of the style of the message, he's certainly saying that we need to listen to them. Sure. So, Paul, you yourself brought up the topic of abortion, for, for example. I mean, there, is, there are other issues as well, you know, the welcoming of homosexuals into the church or people with homosexual tendencies, as the um, synod termed it. But let's use any one of those examples that you'd like and tell me what is the measuring stick? How, what is the difference between, I suppose, like a, a valid opinion that is in accord with one's conscience and the truth? the best possible thing as far as God is concerned. Well, how do, how do we get there? The problem is following one's conscience is always the right thing. I don't think there's any issue there. Yeah. The problem, as I see it, is that because we've had this move towards relativism and a loss of truth, we now solely rely on our conscience. And that's why we make so many mistakes, I think, in mm. the way we live our lives today. But just in terms of the issue of abortion, you know, you can certainly say that abortion has come about as an acceptable practice because people have justified it to themselves in their own conscience, mm. devoid of the truth and the sanctity of life. But the, the flip side to that that I was thinking about recently as well is that we're now seeing doctors who are against abortion, who refuse to perform an abortion and who refuse to refer a woman for abortion, they're now having their freedom of conscience overruled. 
and they're being made or it's suggested that they should be made to, to make that referral, to send a woman to a doctor who will abort. Mm. So it's going both ways. We see freedom of conscience opening up for so many people, but at the same time, people who practice religion and people who are against things like abortion, they're having their freedom of conscience overruled. Mm. So it's somewhat contradictory. Well, then how does one protect the individual's ability to choose? At the end of the day, if, if we all have different beliefs about what is true and what isn't, or if we don't have any concept of truth, we're always going to be stuck in this problem where my freedom of conscience and what I believe to be right is going to be different to everyone else's. Sure. So we somehow, and I don't know how, but we need to bring people back to some concept of truth and right and wrong. Do you feel that we had that once in Australia and in the West and that it's, it's because we're losing it? I think we did. I mean, the West is, is based on Christianity and all of its principles came through the Christian churches. Since we've now moved away from that and we're seeing um, much a society that's far more secular and multicultural, uh, we have other religions like Islam that bring in very different ideas of truth. Mm-hmm. So people have become confused, I think, and the way they've escaped that is to sort of justify to themselves that my freedom of conscience is now that truth I can go to. And anything I do, even if the consequences are bad, even if I end up hurting someone, I haven't done anything wrong because I've followed my conscience. Mm. What was the time or the catalyst or the cause of that change of I'm not doing anything bad from, you know, where we were to, well, I'm not hurting anyone? Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, I guess it's, it's happened gradually over time. There's been a gradual decline in, in belief and morals. Um, I, I'm not sure if I can pin it down to any one event or one period in time, but it's, it's certainly something that's happened gradually. Yeah, perhaps, you know, the, the, I don't know, something about like the, the sexual revolution of the 60s maybe and the, and the 70s and the increased vo- vocality of the gay community and... But I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really casting, you know, pulling a string here. But yeah, no, look, those, those things came to my mind as well. But once again, they're, I guess they're the, the external signs of something else that happened, a shift in thinking. Kind of in, internal shift. Yeah, but what that was or when that occurred is, is hard to say. What would you like to see introduced in public discourse to correct us, to help us um, get back on the right track as a society? Well, I think we need to... We need to have some grounding principles, I guess, that sort of give us that baseline that our consciences can act on. And I think maybe a better understanding of, of virtues. There's so many virtues today that are misunderstood and taken out of context. Mm. So without, without bringing people back to the church and the Christian roots that their society came from, obviously that would be ideal. But apart from that, yeah, we need to bring people back to some sort of consistent understanding of, of certain principles that they, they live their life by. Yes. Um, what about religious education in schools and the like? I mean, yeah, for example, look, the, uh, the ethics courses that are being introduced, would that be a means to, to an end there? I think it might help. Whether it's a means to an end, I'm not sure. Um, you know, sometimes that might just confuse the issue if it simply becomes an education of different religions and different mm-hmm. belief systems. That might just reinforce the idea that, I'm just going to act on my conscience based on on what I do know. I think it comes down to culture as well. Mm. We've really lost a sense of culture 
And that's partly due to the modern world and modern technology and moving away from traditional practices. I mean, I wonder when you remove... I'm really editorializing here, but I I am I'm the son of immigrants, and I wonder what happens when you remove religion from society. I mean, there's that whole Anglo-Saxon you know culture thing that's stiff upper lip and pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps and a Protestant work ethic and all of this, but I feel like that's not particularly substantive, and I just wonder what what else pulls holds for want of a better phrase, white people together. I, I think one thing we, we could perhaps try and recover, and that's an understanding of the concept of freedom. Mm. Today, people think about freedom as freedom to do whatever I want. But we've seen that there's so many, so many things in the modern world that have come about from you know, rejecting any kind of boundaries to freedom. The ironic thing is that freedom actually needs boundaries. Mm. If freedom has no limits then it becomes anything and everything. Whereas if you actually ground it in something, if you understand that freedom is a choice between right and wrong and that ultimately our good and the good of those around us will come by making, by freely making the decision to do the good thing, you know, then I think that will solve a lot of problems. Mm. And we, we see so many things in modern society today like addictions and compulsions to various things, breakdown of the family, obsessions with the material world, uh, you know, I think these things all come from a pursuit or taking freedom to its extreme end, mm. taking it away from what it should be. Well, I don't even know freedom is a value in its own right. It's, a, it's the absence of a value. It's like freedom is the means to, to enact a, a, a better goal than freedom. It's, it's, a, it's a means. It's a tool, isn't it? It's not a thing in itself. So I, I don't know. I I, I, I would think that like the need to protect freedom is because there's some kind of enemy of freedom. The, it's the enemy of freedom that is to be controlled, you know? Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, the, the concept of freedom has changed and this new idea of freedom is really the enemy of the true freedom. Mm, that's quite yeah. powerful. Hashtag enemy yeah. of the freedom, enemy of the true freedom. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Well, I think um, this, I, I hope we've sparked uh, the listener's interest that, I don't know, a changing of values, uh, a lack of a, I don't know, perhaps some kind of a, a foundation stone um, might have brought about a, a kind of, uh, I don't know, if not a chaos, then a lack of unity, a lack of purpose in Western society, or at least that, you know, that we need to get back to some other kind of understanding of freedom of conscience. Listeners, there are many other wonderful podcasts that you should enjoy here on Cradio, but this is it for Conversations with Catholic Voices for today. You've been listening to Paul Sheehan. Thank you, Paul. Thanks, Daniel. And I'm Daniel Noor. Uh, Join us next time uh, in another instalment of Conversation with Catholic Voices. dot org dot au